Uh, I wonder if you appreciate the power and privilege of prayer. Uh, sometimes people offer their thoughts and prayers, don't they? Their thoughts and prayers are with you. And it's a lovely sentiment. But what does it mean when people say that? Are thoughts and prayers, are they the same thing? When people say that, are they just conveying good wishes? Especially when politicians say it. They're, they're pretty good at that. Or TV presenters sometimes, they get very daring and they will say it as well. What does it mean? Uh, when uh, my daughter, Sophie, she had heart surgery as a baby. Uh, on the one hand, some people were really kind and they would say, we're thinking of you during this time. Really lovely, good intentions uh, made us feel loved. Absolutely. Very nice to be thought of. But it really grabbed me when other people said, hey, Dracots, we're praying for you. We're praying for Sophie and for Tanya and for you, Adam. When people say they're praying for you, it's an entirely different prospect, isn't it? Do we see that the gravity of what's being said is entirely different? Because as people say they're praying, do we know that God enters the picture? It's, it's, a, it's a petition to ask God to act. It's a petition that asks God, the all-powerful creator, to intervene and to do something. So to, to be thought of, that's nice. It is, it is, it is nice. But that's one thing. But to actually pray is something else altogether. So again, the question, do we appreciate the power and privilege of prayer? Which brings us to Luke chapter 18. But of course, we've got to work on the context. Where are we? In Luke's Gospel, we're nearing the end of Jesus' uh, travel to Jerusalem. There's considerable opposition rising to him and his message. Uh, he's been answering questions put to him by the Pharisees about the kingdom of God. And Jesus has just said in chapter 17, he said something like, Make no mistake, make no mistake, the kingdom of God, it is coming. And when it does, lightning's going to flash, all sorts of other scary stuff. But first, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. That's the setting. So the setting here isn't peace and prosperity and tranquility. The setting is Jesus talking about turmoil, upheaval and judgment. Little wonder then that chapter 18 follows. So what does it say? Well, here in this parable, we meet two characters. Two strong characters. Two characters that are like two opposing forces that come together and go bang. Meet the judge first. Two things about the judge. In verse 2 we're told in a certain town there's a judge who didn't fear God. He didn't care about people, men. Uh, he doesn't fear God, doesn't care what God thinks. That's the first thing. When people come to him as a judge and appeal to him in God's name or for the sake of God, doesn't matter to him. There is no concern for God's honour with this judge. 
God doesn't matter. And so appealing to him on the basis of anything to do with God is pointless. Second thing about this judge, not, a, not only does he not care about what God thinks, he doesn't care about what other people think either. And so with this judge, there's no inner sense of honour to which people can appeal. There's no sense of compassion. Can't, can't appeal to, the, to God's code of honour. Can't appeal to the community's code of honour. No love for God, no love for neighbour. That is the judge. And for the widow that we meet in verse 3, her situation is utterly hopeless. Utterly hopeless. Any appeal for justice on the basis of God or the community, it's going to fall on deaf ears. It's not going to happen. No compassion. And we kind of see this, do we see this kind of thing in the world today? Well, if you watch current affair programs, well, yeah, there's people on them always crying out against injustice. And it's always, it always seems to be there's been an injustice and people have cried out only for it to fall on deaf ears. Often it involves the behaviour of a large corporation or a council or a government. People are crying out, they're kicking up. We cry out, don't we, for an end to COVID-19. We cry out against border closures. We cry out against a lack of compassion displayed by the Queensland Premier. We cry out. And often it seems hopeless. And the chance of being heard is insurmountable. People cry, where is the compassion? I want a fair go. Well, here in chapter 18, here, the judge is our uncompassionate judge. Now, the other character, the other character, we've got the judge, the other character is the widow. Uh, in this culture, particularly, the widow is vulnerable. Uh, why? Well, she's alone. How do I know that? Well, because in societies like this, women don't go to the courthouses. They don't go. The men go for them. So this woman, she appears, uh, and because she appears, you can know she's got no father, no brother, no uncle, no nephew, no one to speak for her. She is alone. And she pleads her case alone. We need to see that. It was already bad before we met this widow. And now her circumstances should have us feeling that this is, all, this is utterly hopeless. And what does she say? Verse 3. Uh, there was a widow in that town who kept coming to the him, that's the unjust judge, with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. And how does the judge respond? Verse 4. For some time he refused. So here she is, alone, impossible odds. She's got very few cards to play. She seems to be completely at the mercy of this judge. And again, think about these current affair programs. There's one story I'll share with you. It was about a man who was protesting. There was an injustice. It was a power company. What had they done? They'd erected a large power pole, like a really big power pole, right beside his house. There was no consent, no consultation, no asking, no communication. It just, a 
apparently got clomped there. Uh, it was unsightly, it devalued his property, and this guy reckons he tried ringing, he wrote letters, he tried everything, until finally he stood outside uh, the business place of this electricity company uh, with a placard. And every day for a week or so, uh, he would turn up just so that he could make his appeal to somebody. And of course, the news got onto the story and there's, you watch the footage of the energy company workers leaving the building for lunch and then the main man, the boss man, they spot him and they chase him down the street in a dramatic fashion, crying out to him, making an appeal. That's it. See, there's just an example where this bloke's only option left was to become a serial nuisance, a pest. And that is all the widow has. Verse 3 says, she kept coming. She kept coming, she kept coming, she kept coming to him with a plea. And what is the response? Verse 4. For some time he refused, I said that. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think. So you were being reminded of what he's like. Verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And so he surrenders, he gives up. Which as we read this, we, we go, well, you know, there is something about persistent, persistent, never take no for an answer, women, isn't there? Do we, I know that sounds sexist, but do we deal with whiny, persistent men differently? Tell them to drink some concrete and harden up, that never really goes over well, but is there a difference in the way we relate? But when the women turn it on and nag, all the bloke wants is peace, right? Is that true? I mean, I told you I had four sisters, didn't I? And every Father's Day, hey, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? And what would Dad say? He'd say, oh, I just want some peace and quiet. So that's life experience speaking there. And I'm pushing things deliberately, one, so that you'll listen, but two, I, want, I wanted to push things there so that you'll see that in this culture, if it had been a bloke, he would have been thrown in jail for this. He would have been thrown in jail for pestering the judge. But because of the low status of the woman, isn't it possible that she can get away with things that men cannot? They aren't valued the same way as men and so they're not taken as seriously. And I know that sounds sexist, but that is the world that uh, we find here in Luke chapter 18. We need to understand that world. We need to see that the low status here of the woman, she actually uses it to her advantage that she can do things, even risky things like this, and she can get away with it. Whereas, uh, I'm not sure a man would have in the culture. I hope you're able to see that. 
see that she nags and nags and nags and nags and nags until the husband, I mean the judge, <laughs> she nags and nags and nags and nags until the judge caves. Now, this could pass as a comedy routine if it wasn't so sad. It could be funny. Why? Because we see the proud, strong, arrogant judge who doesn't fear anyone, remember? I don't fear God, I don't fear man. That arrogant judge is made weak by the weakest of the weak. As he caves. It's a joke. It's almost laughable. And it's almost like we're meant to cheer. Hooray, he caves. Look what she did. Good for her. We cheer as he caves. Now, if that's kind of lighten things a little, what follows isn't light. Because listen to how Jesus applies the parable to his listeners. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. So as you think of the unjust judge now, now verse 7, Here's the implication, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And the implied answer, of course, is no. No, of course not. Do we see what God is actually like here? He's not like this guy. But God is not a mean-spirited arrogant uh, judge who is cold and heartless and indifferent about our circumstances. Do we see that we, our God does not delight in suffering? He does not delight in our adversity or injustice. No, our God is a loving God who, cares com who is compassionate about his people God is a just God. And he is a just God that promises to bring justice to an unjust world. It's an invitation to compare the unjust judge with the truly just judge, our Heavenly Father. Our cries our tears, our prayers never fall on deaf ears. That's the encouragement. So that when we experience injustice in the world, we can pray to our just God, knowing that he hears us, knowing that he cares deeply about us, knowing that he is a source of compassion and ultimately relief. God doesn't dismiss us and flippantly put us off. The promise is that God will see justice for his people. He cares deeply about it. And, it, and verse 8, that it will happen quickly. Can you see it there? See, justice is God's department. And that should be a great comfort for us. Now then you say, Adam, how does God get justice done? Good question. Is it through the suffering of his son? The one who suffers at the hands of injustice for us. 
Yeah, that's how it, where sin is paid. Where sin is atoned for. It's covered over. It's washed away like it never existed. Where wrath is turned aside. And that happens on the cross where Jesus suffers and dies and where he is buried. The empty cross, of course, points us to the empty tomb. He is risen, which means that justice is served, the price is paid, justice is satisfied, forgiveness is now guaranteed, and of course we know that ultimately justice will be served in full when Christ returns. And so we are right to sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs, griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. You've got it. And as we wait for Christ's return, as we navigate a world full of injustice, we are to pray. That's the encouragement. We are to pray. We are to see that this is a great encouragement for us to pray. Look at verse 1. See, how do I know that? Well, verse 1 tells me why this parable is written. Then, the disciples told his, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's the point. It's very simple. This parable is spoken by Jesus for that very purpose, no matter our circumstance. It's why it's written. We are to pray and we're not to give up praying. We are to be people characterised by a life of prayer. And so this widow is a model of faith, a model to follow in regards to confidence, in regards to her courage, in regards to her persistence, her tenacity regarding prayer. Persistence in prayer is an exercise in faith. And so we need, we should, we must be praying people. Maybe you've been praying about something. Uh, whatever is on your prayer list. Maybe there's a great burden or a great need you have. Maybe you've been tempted to give up. What is your greatest need at the moment? This, parish, this pa passage reminds us, in regard to our prayers, don't relent. Keep knocking. Don't give up. Be tenacious. Keep coming to the Heavenly Father. Keep asking Him. And do it remembering who our Father is, who our judge is. That at this level, we're not like the woman whose judge was cold and unjust. No, we come before our loving Heavenly Father. And so we come before Him in a relationship of love and confidence as we offer prayers to God. Such that when Jesus returns, when Judgment Day comes, here's the background to the text. The question is asked, verse 9, will he find faith on the earth? See the encouragement. The way is opened up for believers to come directly to God in Jesus in prayer. And so when Jesus does come back, verse 9, what will he find? Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people expressing their faith through a commitment to pray. Prayerful people. Is that 
what he will find. It's curious, prayer is uh, core, biblical core value number two of our church family here at St Augustine's in Burrell. Um, it's a good core value uh, and we need to practice it. We need to be people of faith, exercising our faith. Prayer is an exercise in faith. It's an exercise in trust and dependence in Jesus. Failure to pray, then, is the opposite. Failure to pray is an act of independence and self-sufficiency. And it is a failure to pray. It's faithless. So let me ask you again. Do you value the power and privilege of prayer? Are you praying? Because Jesus here reminds us that we have every reason to. So let us pause for a moment in light of this time together. Uh, please pause and please spend time yourself uh, for a minute or five. Spend some time praying. Praying where you are and if, we, if you're with others, by all means, pray together. The encouragement is, let us pray.